Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I'm sorry. Everybody online is going to have no clue what we're talking about now. You should be here. Um, if you're not, I understand, but uh, welcome if you want to come. <laughs> Our viewership just dropped right there. Um, anyways, so, you know, we're talking about the Boston Celtics being NBA champs. Not this year. They lost. But that's what they would say is, like, they are the reigning NBA champs, like the Texas Longhorns won the national championship in 2005, reigning national champions. That just has a good sound to it. Uh, some people like to live in the past even, like in 2018, Texas Longhorns, Oklahoma Sooners, Red River rivalry, Longhorns are down by two, last minute field goal, all my Sooner fans back there, you know what I'm talking about. Cameron Dicker kicks it and he makes it. And it's like, we are the champs. Like, we're the best team in all football, not just college football. You name it, Texas Longhorns, best team out there. But there's a problem with this analogy that I'm using. Even the Boston Celtics, 1959 to 1966, did not lose a national championship. 1967, they lost. 2005, Texas Longhorns, greatest team in history of sports. 2006, they lost. We beat the Oklahoma Sooners in 2018, and honestly, we have not won since. Even though we said we're back, nobody got the memo. We're not back yet. And that's the thing, is whenever we think of this term of dynasty, even if it's the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, um, the Babylonian Empire, where are those today? I mean, they were the best at their time. They were the champs. They were reigning. They were ultimate rulers. And then somebody overtook them. Somebody beat them, and so they no longer are reigning. And is it possible to get that mindset in when we talk about Jesus? Because we talked about last week, Revelation chapter 19, how Jesus is coming back, and you know, he's got eyes of fire, and he's got a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And he's coming on a white horse, and he's got a name written on his thigh, and his robe is dipped in blood, and it is not even going to be a battle. And it's like, yes, Jesus is victorious. But the way that we know victory from a world perspective is you are victorious until somebody comes and beats you. And it's like, man, we see that, like, hey, good is winning. We passed a good law. We did something good. There was a good Samaritan. And then you see, no, nah, evil's coming back. And it seems like evil is winning. And so we, we go through Revelation and we start to wonder, okay, Jesus is victorious, but is it permanent? And it can change our mindset. Because not only is Jesus victorious, but Jesus is reigning. And that's what we're going to see today as we're going through this series in Revelation, and we're really just breezing through it. We're going through 22 chapters in four weeks. It's really fast, and we're just looking at these truths. Because as you read through Revelation, especially chapter 6 through chapter 18, you get some really crazy stuff going on. And it is easy, not to say it's not important, but it is easy to get distracted in that stuff. What's the mark of the beast? Who is the beast? What are the stars falling down? Is that metaphorical? Is that literal? Does a third of the earth really die? Does a third of the water really get evaporated? What are these grasshoppers that look like humans? There's theories out there. They're Apache helicopters. I don't know. But we can get so distracted on that stuff that if you're like me, as you're reading through it, it's, it, it bogs you down. And then you're starting to lose focus on what 
ultimately really matters because there's crazy things going on. But the thing that really matters is Revelation 19. Again, not that that stuff is not important. I'm not saying God's word is not important, but it can distract us from the truth. Revelation 19, Jesus is victorious. And then as we see today, we're gonna be in Revelation chapter 21. We're gonna cover 20 and 21, but our passage this morning is Revelation chapter 21, where we are going to see not only is Jesus victorious, Jesus is reigning. And so if you'll stand as we read our passage, Revelation 21, verse one through eight, and I just want you to hear this. It's gonna be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, read it and see, man, this is truth from God's word. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Is that not encouraging? I mean, is that not incredible right there? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you'll join me in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is true and God that we can see no matter how crazy this world gets, God, we can place our faith and our hope in you. So God, as we just kind of expound on what you have to say, God, let it still be your truth that is spoken. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. And so again, Revelation is full of a lot of crazy things that there are people who have studied longer than I've been alive that come on one side or the other of the aisle and they disagree. And people all over, we see Revelation be kind of, kind of this, not really dividing, but it definitely is strongly discussed, especially in today. As we see kind of what looks like fulfillment of some things happening, I'm not saying that the end is near, Peter said that. He said, behold, the end of all things is at hand. I can tell you this, somebody told me this week, we're one day closer. I can tell you that. We're not getting any further away. And so as we read all of this, again, there are four truths out of the book that we are gonna hold to. Because again, remember John said, blessed are those who read these words aloud. Blessed is the one who hears them and blessed is the one who keeps them. And so we wanna receive that blessing by reading them aloud by hearing them and by keeping them. And I believe those truths, those, those blessings come in the truth. Revelation chapter five, who's worthy? Are you worthy? Is our government worthy? 
Is any famous person that has Elon Musk, richest man in the world right now, he can buy pretty much everything. Is he worthy? No. John says, I saw a scroll in the hand of him who was seated on the throne and no one was able to open it. And so he says, behold, I began to weep for no one was found worthy. And then one of the elders came to him and said, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the only one who is worthy. So we find that truth in Revelation chapter five. Nobody and nothing is worthy except for Jesus alone. Through everything that goes on. Because Jesus is worthy, Revelation 19. Who's victorious? Because there's some crazy stuff going on. Who's gonna be victorious? Jesus is the only one that is victorious. Now we're victorious because we're with him. I mean, I see it as like, you know, if I were on, uh, sorry, sports analogy again, if I were on Shaquille O'Neal's team playing a bunch of kindergartners and it's like Shaquille O'Neal's seven foot one, kindergartners might peak at three feet, might have a couple four feet tall there. It's like, I don't have to do anything, Shaq, you just take over and I win. And that's how it is with Jesus. Like Jesus, I mean, my faith is in you. Like I'm here, but you're doing it. Like you are victorious, not me. I get the win, but you are the only one that can do all the work. So those are the truths we hold on to. And then we get to our passage today where we see that Jesus is reigning. And, and John, he introduces this in Revelation chapter 20 starting in verse one, where he says he sees this other vision because Jesus is coming down out of the clouds on the horse with the armies around him. And he says, birds, get ready because you're about to just gorge yourself on the flesh. And then we have, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might deceive the nations any longer, might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then verse four, it says, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection, and then we get a blessing. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So we see there's gonna be this battle, Revelation 19, Jesus comes and it looks like, oh man, there's gonna be a war. And Jesus is like, nope, I'm gonna grab Satan. I'm gonna throw him in the bottomless pit. And we're told Jesus reigns for a thousand years. And there's even differing views on this. I mean, there's like post-millennial views. I didn't know any of this until I studied it this week, but post-millennial view is pretty much that the church is gonna make the world a better place until Jesus is ready to return. Then you have all millennial view who says, revelation is metaphorical, symbolical. It is not a literal reading. And then you have premillennial views who say, revelation is literal. So there's going to be a literal thousand year reign. And if you care, that's me. If you don't agree with me, that's cool. That's okay. We can still worship together. 
So I'm not going to allow this to distract us, to divide us. But my view is that it is a literal thousand-year reign because that's what the Bible says. And so we see Jesus comes back and he reigns, but then you get this weird spot in there. It says he throws Satan into the abyss for a thousand years so that he cannot deceive anyone. And then you get that weird part. Until the thousand years is up, in which he will be allowed to go out and deceive people. And it's like, whoa, what's going on there? And, and so again, this is my understanding of this. If you disagree, that's okay. My understanding is that Jesus is gonna return. Everybody's gonna see Jesus is returning. Jesus is gonna reign for a thousand years. Everybody is going to understand, yeah, you're God, you're Jesus. Like there's no doubt about it now. And so obviously everybody's gonna see that. So they're gonna be like, we're gonna submit to you. We're gonna say you're Lord and King. And then they're not truly with Jesus though, because then Satan's gonna come to thresh the wheat from the chaff and he is going to divide them and he's going to recruit his people. He's gonna bring people to him. We're told that in verse seven through eight, and he deceives many. So much so that it looks like evil's gonna win. I mean, if this were being played out on the big screen, you would see Jesus have his followers and then all of a sudden Satan comes in and he starts pulling everybody away from Jesus and you start seeing, wait a minute, the odds are no longer in Jesus's favor. It seems like evil is winning again. What's gonna happen here? All right, Jesus, you had your victory. Maybe the throne is about to be taken from you. Are you really in charge? And that's a question we're faced with all the time. It's like, hey, we're on the highs. All right, Jesus, woo, you're victorious. And then we receive the news. We get laid off. We get some diagnosis. We have some, some break in a relationship, whatever it is that suddenly we're like, all right, Jesus, are you really in control? Are you really victorious? Can I trust you? Because it might seem like you won, but suddenly it doesn't seem like you're winning. And we see that in Revelation uh, verse nine of chapter 20, where it says this army that follows Satan, it says they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. I'm gonna stop right there. Because again, you're playing this out on the big screen. You see them now. I mean, Jesus is surrounded. His armies are surrounded. It looks like evil is gonna win. It looks like Jesus, you had a good thousand years. Your dynasty is about to be over. If the Bible stopped right there, end of Revelation, boom, end of the Bible, boom. You have nothing else to read. Pretty depressing stuff. And they surrounded Jesus. Screen goes blank and you're left like, what happens though? That's a horrible ending. Good thing we get to keep on going. Continuing on in verse nine, it says, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. If you're watching this in the theater, this is the moment where you stand up and you start applauding. If you're charismatic, you stand up and start applauding. I know we're not, so we don't do that. 
But it's like, man, like this is the moment where it's like, yeah, I feel wrong just getting excited about it, people. But it's like, man, Jesus is reigning. Like he wins. Not only does he win and then somebody comes and takes over, he wins and he wins and he wins forever and ever. Notice it said that, that Jesus is victorious. They will be, they will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, verse 10, where the fault beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented forever and ever. They're not coming back from that. They don't get a return. If you need hope today, there's your hope that Jesus is victorious. Even if it doesn't feel like it, we get to see the end of the book. We get to know that Jesus not only is victorious, but Jesus reigns forever. He's on the throne. He's always been on the throne and he will always be on the throne. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't feel like it. Don't let your feelings lead you. Let the truth of God's word lead you. Control your feelings with God's truth. That, yeah, in this world, we will have difficulties. John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome, not for it to come back and whoop him, but instead, he stays on the throne. It's not the victory of the world where you're king until somebody dethrones you. Nobody dethrones Jesus. He is victorious forever. Because notice it said in there somewhere, it says, verse four, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. That's not the verse I was looking for. We'll come back to it. Jesus will stay victorious forever. Oh, never mind. We see it in verse 20 or chapter 20, verse 11. I was in the wrong spot. This is repeated in Revelation chapter four. We see it in Revelation chapter 20. It is repeated in God's word. I saw a great white throne and him again. How is he? He was seated. That means he stays there. He's not getting dethroned. I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found in them. And then we see this again in Revelation 21, our passage today, verse five, he who was seated on the throne. Again, he stays victorious. He stays as king of kings. It's the name that is on Jesus's thigh, king of king and Lord of lords. It's not a position where he's worried he's gonna lose control. He is seated on the throne. Is that not a truth that you need to hear today? I mean, it's a truth that I need to hear because again, kick on the news media, kick on social media, and you see something that is like, is the end here? Like, oh my goodness, what is going on in the world? It seems like bad triumphs good. And then we read this and we're reminded, no, there's gonna come a day where Jesus takes the throne. He's already on it, but he once and for all does away with evil. Our passage today, he is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more heartache for the former things have gone because he makes all things new. It says the dwelling place of God is with man. That's where our hope comes from. You wanna know what hope do I have? You have a hope, not in this world, but beyond this world. 
Whatever this world throws at you, remember that right there, Revelation 21, verse 4. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with you forever. That someday this is the hope we have to look forward to. Right now we get to look at God with veiled faces. We don't get to see everything. I cannot look at the face of God because I live in a body of sin. But there's gonna come a day where we are told God will dwell with us, where we are told that the hand of God will reach down and wipe away every tear from our eyes. We have a future with God. It's not in this world. Again, this world is not worthy of your hope. Stock market's gonna crash. Governments are gonna go corrupt. No matter which side of the aisle you're on, that's gonna happen. Food sources are gonna run short. Relationships are gonna break. Things are gonna become old. Whereas Jesus says, but I'm gonna make all things new and you will be in relationship with me. Our hope goes beyond this world to a hope that David knew in Psalm chapter 27. He said, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, not riches, not possessions. This, this is my wish, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and that I may inquire in his temple. May that be our prayer right now. I mean, God blesses us with stuff, but man, God, may I never desire the stuff. May I always desire you. May I, if you give me one wish, God, may this be it, not for a fortune, but may I dwell in your house forever. Praise Jesus, that's possible because it came to fruition through the blood of Jesus. That we don't have that hope, we live in that hope. So it's not like a someday, man, I really hope, but it is a looking at the cross, I know what my hope and what my future is. Because David continues on in verse eight. He says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And then verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There's coming a day where that psalm comes completely true. We get a partial view of it. Someday we're gonna get an eternal view of it where we get to seek God's face, where we get to not only seek it, we get to see it. Because Revelation chapter 21, continuing on in verse 22, John says, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And the city has no need for a sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
John says, I, I saw no temple. Why? In Old Testament times, the temple is where you went to dwell with God. It was his dwelling place. Where's that gonna be? There's no need because we will be in the presence of God. Revelation 21 verse four, he will dwell among us. His dwelling place will be among his people. It says there's no sun or moon because the glory of God is going to give light to everybody there. It says there is a gate, but notice the status of the gate. The gate stays open all day long. Gates are for protection, to keep things from coming in and going out. They protect you. That gate does not need to be shut because we don't need protection. Why? Because he went on to say, nothing unclean, nothing vile. There will be no sin. There will be no heartache. There will be no sorrow. There will be none of those things there will be God's chosen people whom have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, dwelling together in the presence of God forever. That's what our hope should be in. That should bring us such a hope of God. I mean, we want to say, Lord Jesus, come. We're looking at that next week. How Jesus, man, when we read that, man, God, I wanna be there now. Like, let me... One thing I ask, that I may seek your face, that I may dwell in your presence forever. And that is a truth that we get to do. It's not a hope as in hope deferred makes the heart sick. It is a hope as in this is a sure and solid foundation, a thing that we take confidence in over and over as the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we have this confidence, we get to approach the throne of grace and it's for eternity because Jesus reigns forever. It will never be taken away from him. 21 verse 27, it says, nothing unclean will enter it because for eternally God reigns and all things are new. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That should also be telling to us. If you wanna get there, there's only one path. There is only one way to this and it is not your good spiritual deeds, however hard you try. If that's what you're putting your hope in, they're unworthy. Revelation chapter five told us the only way we get there, who is worthy? Who does salvation belong to? Salvation belongs to the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. That is the only way to get our name written in the book of life. We're told by Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, whoever believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and confesses with their mouth that God raised him from the dead will be saved. It's not, hey, get your life together first. It's not do this plus a whole bunch of stuff. It is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Place your faith in him and him alone. We are saved by grace through faith alone, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the gift of God given freely to you. You know how you receive a gift? You accept it. Nah, let me work for that though. It's no longer a gift, it's a wage. It's freely given to us. 
to receive it so that we can have as a sure and steadfast anchor of our heart the hope that we will live forever in the presence of God because Jesus is reigning. Walk with that hope today. Walk with that hope tomorrow when you kick on the news and it's like, oh my goodness, the world is getting really crazy right now. My hope's not in this world. My hope is in the one who rules now and forevermore, Jesus. I'm placing my hope in him. He reigns forever. Father God, thank you for writing this down for us. God, thank you for not leaving the end of the story open for us to not have a hope, but that you show us in your inspired, true word that you're victorious, you're worthy, and God, you're reigning now and forevermore. And so God, I pray, I, first off, I, I thank you that we can have assurance of our name being written in your book because you, you alone paved the way by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so God, we thank you for that. And if, if we have placed our faith in you, thank you that we have that hope that cannot be taken away. But God, I pray for those maybe hearing my voice in this room later on in life, God, if, we, if they are not walking with you, God, just pull on them and let them have that, that hope that is found only in Jesus. God, work in our hearts so that we may just live for you in everything. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.